This podcast is proudly sponsored by Aspire Autism Consultancy, the leading providers of autism and ADHD training, educating and enabling families, therapists and healthcare professionals to gain knowledge and understanding of neurodiversity. The courses are written by two specialist psychotherapists and include the voices and lived experiences of neurodivergent individuals. For further details, go to www.aspireautismconsultancy.co.uk. Welcome to Different Minds, a podcast series about the different ways our brains can work and interpret information. I'm delighted to be joined by content creator for YouTube, Instagram and TikTok, Purple Ella, to talk about life with autism and ADHD. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for inviting me to come and have a chat with you. No worries. How, how are you this, this Monday morning? Oh, as I always am, a little bit scattered with 10 things to do and uh, not being very good at multitasking. So I'm just <laughs> going to try and pay attention to this one thing. Brilliant. For brilliant. Now. Right, well, thank you so much for joining us. So tell us about when you were diagnosed with autism. How did that come about? Okay, so I had struggled with my uh, mental health for quite a long time. Um had been involved with sort of mental health services from my early 20s and prior to that had struggled with feelings of not being good enough not fitting in you know just just a a common feeling that many late diagnosed autistic people talk about of being not quite getting life the way other people seem to get it and trying to figure out why that was and what I could do about it and I'd been doing that for a really long time um and then I had some children um and my eldest child was I guess a lot more kind of stereotypically autistic, if you like, in that she lined things up and she span wheels and she was obsessive about facts and, you know, the kind of cliched um, autistic character that we tend to see in in TV and stuff, I suppose. So uh, she was investigated and then ultimately diagnosed as autistic at about the age of seven or eight. And I hadn't really ever considered autism as a thing for me, I mean, which is kind of ironic because my mom actually worked with autistic children for a living. And so all my life, I through my teenage years, I'd volunteered and helped out and never really thought about it as something that applied to me. And then um, I took the uh, child that I'm talking about, my autistic daughter, out for a coffee. And when I... Um, when I got to the place that I planned on parking, because I always plan things really, really carefully, they'd turn the whole area into residence only parking. And I was like, I don't know what to do now. And I kind of had a melt, what I now know was a meltdown. And I don't know why, but I suddenly kind of went, oh my God, I'm autistic. It was really like a, a revelationary moment, kind of yeah. everything that I'd learned about autism to support my child and what was happening to me in that moment of not being able to cope with the change all came together to me for me to go, this is what it is. So yeah, which is a little bit strange when you're in your late thirties. Um, but I went away and I spoke to lots of my friends and I spoke to my husband and, you know, a lot of my friends were like, Oh yeah. Did you not know that? (laughs) Which was not what I expected. Um, so yeah, I went to my GP and I, and I was assessed and, and ultimately diagnosed as, as being on the autistic spectrum. Yeah. Was it, was it a relief when you were diagnosed with autism? Initially, it was a relief. I'd say you get like a day of relief. You get a day of like, oh, that's it. I've got the answer. Brilliant. Everything's going to be brilliant now. And then I felt a whole range of emotions, which I think is really common for people that are diagnosed, particularly late in life, of kind of like, yeah, but I'm 36. 
that's 36 years of not having the support or the understanding or the um awareness that might have helped me succeed and at this point I was unemployed you know I'd got three beautiful children and a husband it wasn't a complete disaster but I was unemployed didn't really feel like I'd made anything of myself in terms of something for me that was about me and my own personal development and it was really frustrating to feel that perhaps I'd missed my chance because I'd been diagnosed so late so then you go through kind of a grief period um and then you go through kind of a maybe I'm not autistic maybe I've just made this entire thing up (laughs) period (laughs) and then eventually you kind of settle into okay all right okay now we now we can move forward it's really timely us talking today um, and you you touched on it just then about stereotypes obviously the news of Melanie Sykes and Christine McGuinness late autism diagnosis may have come as a surprise to many of us after all they are glamorous tv career women you know they look nothing like the stereotype of autism as as a as a culture we are used to and i just wondered you know I, I guess as our understanding of autism is getting better, we're now seeing people coming out the woodwork that don't fit into those traditional stereotypes. I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't describe it as coming out of the woodwork, um, right. <laughs> but because I don't really understand what that means yeah. because I'm autistic. Um, what do I think about? Sorry, I just didn't answer that question at all. No, did that's I? <laughs> what do I think about that? I mean, I've got to say with Christine McGuinness, I think because she has been closely involved with the National Autistic Society for a long time because she's got autistic children. So I followed what she's kind of spoken about. I have to say it was absolutely no surprise to me whatsoever. I've been right. thinking for years. I think she might be autistic actually herself, which I'm sure she has too. Um, But yeah, I see what you mean. I suppose I'm in this really privileged position that I work with autism all day long. I've got autistic children. I work in the field of autism. So I know that there are a variety of presentations. And then sometimes I forget that the average person on the street, when you say to them autism, they're going Rain Man or they're going Sheldon Cooper. They're very rarely going to a woman, let alone um, a woman who, as you've said, has had a successful high profile career. And I think that the common factor there is A, that people don't realize that that anyone could potentially be autistic from any walk of life with any personality, with any preferences, with any career, but also they're, there was an end to that and I forgot there. Um... I guess I guess like you're saying really, I guess with Melanie Sykes diagnosis, I guess that's part of a wider trend, isn't it? In women finding out they're autistic in, in adulthood later mm-hmm. in life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really great because when I was first diagnosed, I feel like it was kind of a thing that was talked about a lot, autistic women. And I was part of a, a course that the NAS made about diagnosing and supporting autistic women. And I talked a lot about autistic women. Um, And so hopefully the impact that that's had, not me personally, but the like wider kind of raising awareness of the fact that women can be autistic and what that might look like has meant that more people have been able to recognize it in themselves and move forward and get that diagnosis. And Melanie Sykes being one of them. And I really hope that it gives her what she needs to be as happy and comfortable as she can be in her life. Does autism present itself differently in in women to men then? This is a complicated answer. If you'd asked me this five years ago, I'd have said yes. And this is what autistic women look like. And it's and it's a female presentation. But I've you know, you live and you learn. And I've kind of met lots and lots of people since then that have that same kind of presentation that are male or that are trans or that are non-binary. So I think it's really unhelpful and not very inclusive to sort of say this is how autistic women present. I think it's more helpful to kind of say 
there is more than one presentation of autism. There's yeah. the presentation of autism that you're going to be expecting that's going to be easier to spot, that's less camouflaged, that's easy to diagnose. Yeah. And then there's the presentation of autism that is common amongst people who have felt that they needed to hide their autism yeah. and that have developed a really effective mask. And that could be f- from any gender, really. Absolutely, because often I hear, hear people saying, you know, well, women are just better at masking than men. Okay, what would you say to that? I would say that women are commonly put in more complex social situations where the need to mask might arise. So it might be a more common trait for women because of the way that other women, the social um, situation around women tends to look. But I don't think it's that women are better at masking. I think it's that they're put in more situations where they have to generally. Yeah, yeah. You also have ADHD. I wonder if you could just tell us a bit about what actually that is. And and is that um, quite a common thing in terms of like a a co-occurring condition with with autism? So I've done quite a lot of research about this because there's just not a lot of information out there about the uh, co-occurrence of ADHD and autism, specifically what that looks like and and how to manage that and so the the closest that I've come up with is it seems to be that the general consensus is that it's between 30 and 50 percent of autistic people would also qualify for an ADHD diagnosis and then an even higher number of autistic people that would have ADHD traits but not enough to qualify for a diagnosis so it's it's common um what it is uh ADHD is primarily an executive functioning difficulty and executive functioning covers such a wide range of things that that means it can impact your attention it can impact your emotional regulation um but it also it's something that is really misunderstood i would say even more misunderstood than autism um and so people often don't identify and so adhd itself is this kind of thing that means that you struggle to focus you struggle to um do tasks that have more than one step you struggle to regulate your emotions it's like it's like something between you and achieving what you want to achieve but then the knock-on effects of having ADHD also lead to like low self-esteem and rejection sensitivity and things that come as a consequence of living with this misunderstood condition that you might not have even known you've had that's that's impacting your ability to do things even though you really want to do those things. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't it, feel like I explain ADHD. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. So I guess you mentioned that one of the traits of ADHD was maybe difficulty focusing, and yet here you are focusing on, on this podcast. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing about ADHD that I've discovered is that it's kind of an all or nothing situation. Yeah. So if it's firstly, if it's something that I'm really interested in, which talking about autism and ADHD is something I'm really interested yeah. in, I can focus. But there's also this state that people with ADHD can get into called hyperfocus, which is where when you're really into something and, you know, the stars align and you're in the right position and there's nothing that's going to distract you, you can focus on it so much but it's kind of to the exclusion of everything else and you forget to eat or sleep or that there's anything else in the world apart from the thing that you're doing. It's kind of a paradox in that way, really, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And if someone was asked you to describe the difference between autism and ADHD, then how, how would you go about answering that? Oh, gosh. Firstly, I'd direct them to the video that I made on the difference between autism and ADHD, which I scripted based on research. (laughs) Um, that's a really tricky one because I think there's the difference in terms of the diagnostic criteria is that ADHD diagnostic criteria doesn't include difficulties with social and communication doesn't include repetitive and restricted patterns of behavior and doesn't include sensory issues so it's it's primarily an executive function 
condition. However, when you speak to people that just have ADHD, they're telling us, well, I actually have sensory issues and I actually have difficulties with these things. So I feel like we're in a place with ADHD and autism where we actually don't really fully understand what the difference is and where those different, how to, how to distinguish between the two to be able to diagnose two different things. And that leads me on to feeling that actually being diagnosed with a bunch of different labels isn't maybe necessarily that helpful as a neurodivergent person, that it might be more helpful to be getting an assessment where you're going, okay, what are your neurodivergent needs? What does your neurodivergent brain look like? Yeah. And how can we use that to help you moving forward? Yeah, really interesting so much crossover it's it's yeah, yeah. almost impossible to separate the two yeah yeah really interesting i wonder if i can talk a bit about misconceptions around autism one one of the classic ones is often people some people say but well, autistic people don't have any empathy what would you say <laughs> yeah well i mean i'm sure um you've probably had this talked about before on your podcast yeah. but i would say that i personally have so much empathy that if someone walks into a room and they're feeling something i can't concentrate because all i can think about is that this person isn't okay um and there's a study of some research that's been done by dr damian milton about the um double empathy problem which essentially says that autistic people and holistic people so not autistic people express and process their empathy in a very different way to each other. So if you've got an autistic person empathizing with an autistic person, that seems to work. And an holistic person with an holistic person, that seems to work. The problem is actually more of a communication barrier between autistic people and holistic people, which makes total sense when you, and, and also definitely reflects my experience with as someone with a lot of autistic friends yeah really interesting and I, I did I was privileged enough to chat to Damien Milton on my podcast earlier this year so so do check that out really interesting episode there just thought I'd get that plug in um yeah, yeah it's um would you say there's still a lot of stigma then associated with, with being aut- autistic in society and 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 you know why do you think that is and 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 how can we tackle that yes I think there is um but I think it's almost part of the I mean, so there's the stigma associated with autism in terms of people that think that we're all rain man and think that we all need the same thing and basically seem to think that every autistic person is exactly the same and can't comprehend us as different people with different sets of needs. Then there's the people that, you know, there's always going to be these people that are weirded out by things that are other than them. And I'll give you a great example that's on a complete tangent, which is very ADHD, in that I used to do uh, street theatre when I was younger. And so you'd be at, you know, a city centre and you'd be booked to go and walk around in like a Victorian swimming costume, pretending to be a Victorian swimmer. And there'd be the people that would engage with you and they'd love it. And then there'd be the people that would just be like, you don't exist. You're not in my universe. I can't cope with this. It's way too much. So I'm just going to pretend you don't exist. Yeah. (laughs) And I always think of those people when I think about the people that can't cope with difference, they just actually block anything that makes them feel in any way uncomfortable entirely out of their universe because because of what it makes them feel about them I guess so there's those people and then in addition to that we live at a time where like society is so fragmented at the moment isn't it you know you have to join a clan you have to have a set of opinions to be part of this group and anyone with differing opinions is you know the enemy and and I think social media has played its part in that but do you know what I'm talking about yeah absolutely Um, and I think because of that There's, you know, there's people that are part of the, if you like, woke crowd who are like, let's support autistic people. Let's, you know, let's let's support minority groups. And then there's people that are like, 
in a different faction, like, well, no, everyone can do, should be in charge of making their own lives better and it's up to you and it's your responsibility and then don't suffer weakness gladly, I guess. And so I feel like we live at a time where there's always going to be people who aren't going to get it and aren't going to want to support us, but there is also a growing movement of people who do get it and do want to support us and perhaps that's just humans. Yeah, a good point. I've obviously seen your YouTube channel. You cover, as you say, a range of topics. You did a video about imposter syndrome around mm-hmm. autism and ADHD. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, I suppose there were two sort of factions to that. Sort of the primary one being feeling like maybe you don't really have autism and maybe you've made the whole thing up in order to cover your flawed personality or whatever or the fact that you're failing Um, and I think every autistic person in fact not just every autistic person every disabled person has probably felt this at some point Um, because it takes a lot of strength and a lot of self-esteem to go no this is my situation and to have compassion for yourself Um, and then there's the imposter syndrome around like not feeling like you're quite good enough that you'll have picked up from those years prior to diagnosis or even perhaps during where the world gave you the message that you're not good enough. So of course you're carrying that with you, you know? No, definitely, definitely. I also read about you that you have an autism assistance dog called Coco, is that right? Yeah, I do. Lovely, (laughs) lovely Coco. (laughs) Tell us a bit about Coco and what is an autism assistance dog? Right, so um, Coco, uh was my pet dog I got her as a puppy but I always had the intention that she would be a kind of therapeutic thing for me yeah. um and then because I'd looked into assistance dogs for autistic people and they had basically just all said only for children so uh but I felt I would benefit from one so what an autism assistance dog does is a variety of tasks to support their autistic handler so in my case Coco is trained to perform a thing called deep pressure therapy, which is where she lies on me. And much like a weighted blanket or something like that, the weight of her makes me feel calmer. And there's science around that to do with chemicals that it makes you release when you get that kind of weight. I remember that Um, I interviewed Temple Grandin in America and she uh, was one of the kind of initial developers of kind of uh, that that, that kind of technique that you're describing. She developed uh, a squeeze box. That's the one. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but she, I lo- what I love about that story about Temple is that she developed this hug box because she couldn't handle being hugged, but she recognised that it felt good. But now she doesn't need it because she feels comfortable being hugged. And I think that's yeah. really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you there. Um, yeah, so that's one of the things she does. She also is trained to recognise the early warning signs of my meltdowns so that she can give me a little bit of a heads up that maybe I need to take myself off and, you know, regulate myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then beyond that, she also just is kind of a comfort for me when I'm out and about. It's like yeah. something else to focus on. So when you're out in the world as an autistic person, it's all quite overwhelming. There's a lot of sound, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of sensory issues, there's a lot of social things to deal with. And when I've got Coco with me, I'm holding onto her lead and it's like I've got this lead to the ground that like grounds me and yeah. I can focus on her and have a bit more of a tunnel vision. It's just me and her, it's not yeah. the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense, yeah, yeah. You talked about trained, the Sorry, so go on. You talked about the sensory um, aspects there, and some often, again, this is going back to uh, some of the misconceptions. Sometimes people say, "Isn't everyone a bit autistic?" I mean, you know, I, I, I don't like bright lights, or I'm a picky eater. That does that make me autistic? Or, or what would you say to to that? Gosh, uh, yeah, maybe. 
<laughs> maybe it does maybe write a list have a look at the diagnostic criteria you know i'd never want to i'd never want to minimize someone's experience yeah. but i think often when people say that what they're trying to say is it's okay you're you're not that different we accept you that's what they're trying to say i really like i really believe it's coming from that good place yeah. rather than a yeah. dismissive place yeah. but how it feels is like someone saying yeah everyone's got that it's just that you're struggling because you're rubbish yeah. you know yeah. it feels really dismissive and minimizing and i think the reason that people think that they can say it is that there is no behavior that an autistic person does that is completely abnormal and not done by people that aren't autistic right yeah. so they're human behaviors it's just that when you get a collection of them together that it's autism so it's a little bit like saying oh i'm really ocd because you like to put your shoes in a neat line which obviously minimizes that condition it's a similar kind of thing isn't it yeah definitely i wanted to ask you about media representations would you say there's still a lot of work to be done when it comes to media representation or would you say that that's improving already i think it's really difficult because if you look at sort of social media yeah. i think there is a change i think we're getting more of a variety of people speaking about autism from all walks of life and from all with a with all different kinds of levels of support need yeah. I, if anything i'd say on social media the kind of non-verbal high support need autism is the kind that's potentially underrepresented because there's yeah. lots of advocates like me speaking um but if you look at mainstream media like newspaper print newspaper television films i feel like that is still very core in the stereotypes if you look at the kind of major programs we've seen that have an autistic character you've got what the good doctor atypical yeah. you know yeah. it's it's men that are uh really 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 good at something right um so yeah i think we've got a long way to go in in that and i think the other underrepresented community in terms of autism in the media is the uh, non-white community yeah. I feel like we have a lot of white autistic representation and not enough of any other minority group yeah if, if anyone was listening to this podcast and could and 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 kind of maybe could relate to your story uh, and they were wondering whether they were autistic what 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 advice would you give them well I would recommend first of all doing a shed ton of research and if you enjoy doing that shed ton of research maybe you're autistic I'm saying that flippantly but do a load of research really feel that you have explored that for yourself um, because there are a lot of things that look like autism that aren't autism like attachment issues or trauma responses you know can look like ADHD for example um, yeah. and then um, if you want to if you want to, or you're privileged enough to be in a position to, to go and ask for an assessment, then you need to go to your uh, GP and ask them to refer you to the local autism assessment team. But the problem is that then I'm hearing now from my community that there's up to a four year wait list in lots of areas for an autism assessment. So there's a lot of time then between realizing you're autistic and getting that diagnosis, which I can tell you if that's what had happened to me would have been intolerable. So yeah. I really support a space for people who are either choosing not to access that assessment because, or because they can't, or are waiting for that assessment, still being part of our community and still learning and exploring what, what being autistic means for them so that they don't feel like they've got to get this official diagnosis that it's really hard to get before they can start to support themselves. Yeah. And what are your hopes and aspirations going forward in terms of uh, the content that you produce and the, and the message that, you, that you're, you're putting out there? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. And if I had the answer to that, I could make one of those like goals and year plans type things <laughs> that sensible business people do. Um, <laughs> I'd like, I think I'd like 
the focus to be on community the last few years my my content and my sort of work has been a lot around building this community the wider community of people that watch my content but then this smaller community of people that are kind of supporting me as part of my it's not patreon it's the youtube members club but as part of that um, and that's made me realize that what I really love about what I do is empowering other people to go out and love doing a similar thing so that I've come across people that have, that have been a part of what I do. And then they've ended up doing training in their workplaces or in their social clubs. That, so this kind of spider of what I'm doing, spreading out to more people and empowering more people to, to speak about this. Yeah. So I guess I'd like to grow my community to as large a size as it can get so that that spider effect is like rippling out across the world and making the world a better place that sounds really sappy doesn't it but that's ultimately really what i'm trying to do keep up the great work that you're doing obviously you're you're entertaining you're educating people about the, i guess what is a vastly misunderstood reality of being autistic by sharing your story and other people's stories you're going to make life easier for, for for many people so it's obviously a good thing that you're doing and uh, yeah just want to say keep up the good work and thank you so much for for talking to me on the podcast today Oh, you're very welcome. I feel like it's Monday morning and I've been a little bit rambly, so I hope there's something good in there for someone. Not at all. It's a pleasure, a real pleasure speaking to you.